At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. I declare open the Games of London, celebrating the 30th Olympiad of the modern era. The 2012 London Olympics kicked off with the usual pageantry and spectacle. And with Queen Elizabeth presiding over the festivities, there was perhaps even a bit more of a dignified air to these summer games. At least to start. But just three days in, the games unexpectedly descended into this. This is an absolute disgrace. This is the scene inside Wembley Arena, London's storied venue and concert hall, which was the setting for an Olympic farce. More than 12,000 fans fill the stands, fans who'd paid good money for a glimpse at the very best in their sport. In this case, the sport of badminton. And on this afternoon, four of the very best badminton players in the world are on the floor. It's a women's doubles match between China and South Korea. Olympic badminton is a sport that seems to move at double speed. A sport that requires freakish athleticism, otherworldly hand-eye coordination, reflexes, and fitness to chase down and smash that oddly shaped projectile, the shuttlecock. Top-level badminton can be breathtaking to watch. It can be dramatic. Olympic badminton should be both. What's playing out inside Wembley is an entirely different sport, or not a sport at all. A badminton rally regularly has over 20 shots. This match has no rallies over four shots. The players move listlessly. They look indifferent. The level of play is so bad, it's a joke. But when it dawns on the fans that the players are deliberately missing shots, that the players are deliberately losing, they don't see it as a joke at all. Well, it's quite obvious what the crowd think of this. Well, I really think that the tournament referee needs to step in here. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was horrible to watch. It was horrible to watch. That's Hans Christian Wittinghus, one of the top players in the world. He had a front row seat on that day at Wembley, where he was serving as a TV commentator. 
Hans Christian is Danish, and he has played the sport since he was five years old. He's watched countless matches in his life, but he'd never seen a match like this. So you would even see rallies where one side served it out of the court, but the other side would then catch the shuttle and make a mistake just to make sure that they lost the point. And like everyone in the stadium was booing so bad and they, I put Babson in a really, really bad situation. Mercifully, the match is over within 30 minutes. The four players, expressionless, walk off the court. As a sport, like we just lose the, the credibility. Uh, we, we cheat all the fans. Uh, it just makes it very difficult for the sport to grow. We're kind of cheating everyone in the world of badminton. Every four years at the Olympics, sports that are popular in specific parts of the world have a chance to win the hearts of fans across the world. Badminton is massively popular in parts of Asia and Europe, but it isn't a huge global game. People like Hans Christian, who have devoted their lives to their craft and growing their game, dream of the moment when their sport can own the world stage. Most of the time, that moment never comes. At the 2012 London Games, badminton had its moment. In fact, after all those players walked off the court, it was about to become the biggest story of the Summer Olympics. But for all the wrong reasons. I'm Molly Bloom, and this is Torched. A show about the heat of competition and what the greatest athletes would lose to win. This season is about controversies and scandals on the biggest world stage, the Olympics. And this episode is about one of the most bizarre Olympic moments in recent memory. When a group of Olympians decided that it was worth it to actually lose an attempt to win gold. This incident exposed a bigger problem in the not-so-innocent world of badminton. A problem that one man made his mission to fix. Eight elite athletes who were deliberately and flagrantly losing their matches. Why? ABC's Bill Weir leads our coverage again tonight from the London Olympic Games on the scandal and the celebration. That's from ABC News Tonight's coverage of the London Games. London is buzzing about badminton and the eight players expelled from the games, not for doping, but for losing on purpose. Yep, you heard that right. Expelled from losing. A strange phenomenon to consider. Headlines of the women's badminton doubles event in London were everywhere. Splashed over stories that reported the basic facts. Badminton teams at the Olympics intentionally tried to lose so they could have more favorable matchups later in the tournament. It was an Olympic controversy, a cheating scandal, unlike any other, where the athletes did everything in their power not to win. China's loss to South Korea at Wembley Arena was just part of it. When China lost to the South Koreans, the tournament seedings and matchups were effectively reset. And that meant that in the evening session, a Korean uh, team uh, and an Indonesian team again benefited from losing both of them. So they started doing the exact same. So we had the same shit show going on twice. It was horrible and it was, it was such a mess. That's Hans Christian Wittinghus, noting that the first match had set the stage for another episode of tanking. Because in the second match, both the South Korean and Indonesian teams now had incentive to lose 
to set up more favorable matchups for themselves. Perhaps taking some inspiration from the earlier match, they were just as convincing in their determination to lose. But this time, the referee didn't let them walk off the court without punishment. But it wasn't until that second match in the evening that the referee, a tournament referee, actually got on court and disqualified both pairs. It was an unprecedented situation. Olympic historians had to really reach to find comparable moments in history. One historian brought up the 1924 Paris Games, in which a Hungarian judge accused three Italian fencers of losing on purpose so their teammate could win. That fencer was disqualified and was so angry that he challenged the judge to a duel with real swords. This situation thankfully didn't come to that, but all four teams, eight players, were sent home. This meant that two teams that had already lost and been eliminated were now actually back in the tournament. So we, we had a R- Russian, Russian women's doubles team that had already left the Olympic Village. They, they needed to come back because they were actually going to play an Olympic uh, qu- quarterfinal the next day, and they ended up winning the bronze medal. <laughs> it's crazy. The reaction to these events was harsh. It was hailed by the media as, quote, an evening of shame, a pathetic display, badminton scandal, a new low, even for the Olympics, read a headline in Sports Illustrated. But mostly to the outside world. The badminton scandal was treated like a joke. Every take seemed to include a quip about shuttlecocks or a reference to drunk backyard badminton. You could imagine this turning into a Ben Stiller movie about a group of misfits and nerds playing an obscure, easily mocked sport. For people inside the game, like Hans Christian, it was mostly just a sad moment. Hans Christian knows that most people in the US have a vague picture of badminton in their heads perhaps as an aristocratic pastime. The sport's name, after all, derives from a game first played at the Duke of Beaufort's badminton house in England in the 1800s. But more likely, the picture is of a summer afternoon, a boxed set, maybe from the supermarket, a tall net, and on either side, players flailing, chasing down that odd-looking conical projectile, that would be the shuttlecock, with a racket in one hand and maybe a beer in the other. But Hans Christian comes from Denmark, a country where the sport is popular and beloved, where some of the most talented athletes in the country aspire to become professional badminton players. Hans Christian began playing with his sister when he was five years old, and he started playing competitively as a teenager. He has won badminton's biggest world tournament as a singles and doubles player, and been ranked inside the world's top 10. In other words, he excels at the highest level, where this game is about power, delicate finesse, deception, trickery, and speed. A ferocious smash can clock over 250 miles per hour. Serves can come in up to 180 miles per hour. For comparison, the hardest tennis serve on record topped out at just over 160 miles per hour. What are some of the primary misconceptions about badminton? There is sort of a misconception that badminton is not physically very hard. I guarantee it's, it's ruthless. Hans Christian has two long training sessions a day to maintain the strength and endurance. During the course of a singles match, a player covers up to four miles of ground inside the 17-foot by 44-foot court. It's intense. Just watch a few clips on YouTube, and it will be hard for you to imagine a sport that requires more hand-eye coordination freakish reflexes, 
and tremendous fitness, not to mention focus and mental strength. When badminton was front and center for all the wrong reasons in 2012, Hans Christian was sad for his sport, but he was also angry. He tweeted that it was, quote, a disastrous night for badminton. Hard to see the sport I love like this. What a disgrace, he added. In the heat of the moment, his anger was directed at the players on the court. But in the following years, his view of the events in London would evolve. Eventually, he and others in the badminton world would start to wonder, were the players in London truly at fault? And was the great badminton scandal actually a scandal? We'll come back to London later. But first, it's important to point out that the events at the 2012 Games actually weren't so out of the ordinary if you consider badminton's sordid past. In 2008, at badminton's biggest event of the year, the Thomas Cup, a team from South Korea admitted to losing on purpose so they could face a weaker team. At the World Championships in 2003, one Chinese doubles team was accused of losing on purpose to help another Chinese team. In fact, before the London Games, there had been allegations of match-fixing in the Olympics. At the 2000 Sydney Games, a player named Yi Zhao Ying was told to lose to her teammate, Gong Chi Chao, who went on to win gold. In a similar instance at the 2004 Athens Games, China's Zhou Mi was reportedly told by her coach, quote, not to work too hard against her teammate, Jiang Ning, in the women's semifinals. Hans Christian has seen numerous examples of match-fixing through the years in every kind of tournament. I would say in the past, it was extremely common. He was an active professional in 2008, when during the Thomas Cup, the South Korean national team admitted to tanking in two different matches. Say a player decides to go through with it. Can you describe how that athlete might go about throwing the game? Yeah, that's one of the big issues that it's it's really easy to throw a match in badminton without making it look suspicious in any way. Because uh, especially if you're the favorite, if you're the better player in, in badminton, we we make mistakes in all matches. Even the best players in the world still makes mistakes. In other words, you miss one shot and it certainly doesn't look suspicious. You can miss five shots in a row. Even that happens to the best players. Not only that but you can make imperceptible tactical changes that favor your opponent and change the course of a match. I would think that if someone chose to go through with it, it would often be the favorite player uh, that, that would do it. He, he would be able to keep the score close all the way and not make it look uh, absurd. Well, apart from hitting it uh, out, you, you can also easily hit it into the net without it looking ridiculous. If you just adjust your technique in terms of how you hit the shuttle, if you just adjust it slightly like one, one degree angle uh, different, then you make a mistake instead of a, a winner. And for the untrained eye, it's impossible to see. So, so there's, there's various ways you can make sure that you do not play your best without making it look like you're doing it deliberately. Long story short, badminton is particularly susceptible to match fixing which makes badminton players susceptible and potentially vulnerable targets for those looking to manipulate the result of a game. And while athletes at the 2012 London Olympics were trying to lose to help their teammates, there's another fairly common reason players might throw games. To profit. Back in 2014, Hans Christian actually became a target. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. I remember pretty clearly that I was uh, sitting at my desk in the, the hotel room. I actually think I was doing some school stuff. I was studying a bit part-time at, at that time, uh, and I had my Facebook open. This is Hans Christian describing a day in Tokyo in 2014. He was there for the Japan Open, one of the biggest events on the Badminton World Tour, and he was having one of the best seasons of his career. And this guy, a Malaysian guy, just approached me on, uh, on Messenger just asking if I was ready to play Japan Open, and uh, he was being very polite. The man who contacted him worked as a representative for a potential sponsor. They'd met before, but they didn't know each other well. And I replied, and yeah, I'm ready and looking forward to it. And then his next question was, how would you feel like uh, losing one of your matches on purpose? And I was like, I was completely shocked that it just came out of the blue, out of nowhere. Hans Christian was stunned. He knew what was happening. This man from Malaysia wanted him to lose a match for gambling purposes. He knew that throughout Europe and Asia, gambling on badminton was big business. And he knew that there had been several instances of match fixing to these ends, but he'd never had someone approach him. He'd heard of players getting anonymous messages on WhatsApp, but to have someone come at him so directly, he was shocked at the way it went down. I honestly didn't imagine that it would happen in such a like open way I, I would think it was something that happened in the kind of the back alley somewhere and uh, people approach you without any chance of it being traced back to you right hans christian replied that he didn't want anything to do with the scheme and i told him that i i thought he should stop doing it as well and looking back I, that was probably a bit naive to think that me saying that would have any uh, any meaning to him but i said that i, I thought he should uh, stop because he, he said that it was some of his friends that was setting it up so i said he should stop having contact with that guy and he should report them to the the international federation and yeah he said uh, he said straight away yeah i will do that and then i didn't hear from him again after the initial shock Hans Christian decided that he should report it to the authorities. He contacted the Badminton World Federation, the governing body for the sport, and filed a report, passing along the man's information and their exchanges. An official quickly replied that they were on the case. But at the time, the Federation didn't have a track record of punishing fixers, so Hans Christian didn't know how they would respond. That night, Hans Christian went out with his teammates. Like a few hours later, I was out for dinner with some of the other guys on the Danish team. 
Uh, and I, I told them about this episode and that I had reported it to the International Federation. And as I was telling this story, and I, I'm not making this, this up, but this guy approaches one of the doubles players on the team on Messenger and asks him completely the same if he would like to fix his matches. And we were like, how is this happening again? I, I just told him that I was going to report it and everything, and he, he didn't even care. He just carried on asking other players. The man didn't get very far with Hans Christian, but when he contacted his teammate, Hans Christian encouraged him to get more information. The man told the teammate he could get anything from two to 5,000 euros a match, not an insignificant sum for a professional badminton player whose income primarily relies on winning tournaments. Additionally, the teammate was told that it could be arranged so that he could put money on the match. In other words, he could have money riding on the match he was playing in and bet against himself. It's like the ultimate free roll. So basically he could control how much money he wanted to, to win uh, on his own. Of course, the risk would also be higher. In an event like Japan Open at the time, the prize money if you lost first round, even though it's a, a big event, is zero. So you, you kind of get the understanding that uh, it can for some people be tempting because you, you don't earn anything if you don't win any matches. And for that, my friend, they were drawn to play the, the top seeds and world number ones in the first round. So it was very realistic that they would lose the, the first round. You could understand why some people could get tempted. The money is big compared to all the expenses we have and the, the very little in income if you're not one of the very best players in the world. Hans Christian began to realize that his sport had a bigger match-fixing problem than he imagined. While the circumstances around the 2012 Olympics were different from this situation, both were egregious examples of match-fixing, which threatened the integrity of his sport. Hans Christian decided that, at the very least, he needed to speak out. I was never really in doubt that I needed to report it somehow. I was a little bit in doubt how I should actually uh, go about it and, and do it. At the time, the, the International Federation had never had any reports uh, using the, the whistleblower form. What I thought was, was really bad was when the BWF, the International Federation, told me they had never received any whistleblower forms before. I was kind of like, that. that's also bad, so we need to get it out there. And yeah, if I have to be the one that speaks up the first time, uh, so be it. Six months later, and nothing seemed to have changed. There was no notification from the Federation to the players to be on the lookout for the man who'd contacted him, or for any fixers for that matter. No indication that the Federation was actually doing anything about the issue. Hans Christian decided to go public with his story and tell reporters what had happened to him. When the news made a bit of a splash, he saw it only as a positive to bring light to this very real problem. But the Badminton World Federation saw it differently, chastising him for coming out with a story that tarnished the sport's image. Because of their response, Hans Christian began to question the Federation's seriousness when it came to cleaning things up. And then, in 2018, he was in China for the China Open. I have one particular uh, situation in China Open. I, I was sitting in the, uh, in the player seat watching the match, and even the Korean coaches next to me, they were, they were just laughing because it was so ridiculous. Like they were hitting shots out by meters. Uh, you, you don't do that as a professional badminton player. Of course, you can make mistakes and you can hit it out and you can play terrible. But you don't just like even on just serves, they would just serve it out by yeah, one meters, two meters. And yeah, 
they were just laughing about it. Uh, I wasn't really laughing that much. I was just, uh, <laughs> I was so annoyed that I, I couldn't keep it in. So I was, uh, I began tweeting about it. Uh, and that, that didn't really uh, resonate so well with the, uh, the International Federation. Hans Christian posted the following on social. This was a complete farce of a match, which made me think of the London Olympics when four pairs deliberately tried to lose their matches. I kid you not, it was this bad. This time, the Federation cracked down. This is, this is rather crazy, but they actually changed the rules afterwards for what we are allowed to do or say on social media. So now it's a, now it's a punishable offense if you, if you uh, put something out there that can be deemed as being disrespectful to your colleagues. And like, as soon as I saw that change in the rules, I just knew it was a reaction of what had happened at China Open. Because this, this rule change came two months after, and it, like, it was so obvious because of all the fuss that it had created. I know it's not the best thing for the sport to get it out there and it's bad publicity, but uh, bad publicity is better than no publicity. Like after I got back to the hotel room from watching that match, I went straight on YouTube to rewatch it because I wanted to see that. I wanted to reassure myself that I was just, I was not over exaggerating in any way. And I watched it again and I wasn't over exaggerating in any way. But the next day that video was taken down. So it's, it's not on YouTube anymore. So if people want to go watch it, they're, they're not able to find it. It's not out there anymore. Hans Christian didn't want to just draw attention to the issue. He wanted the Federation to do something about it, to treat it like a serious problem and clean things up. This was 2018, six years after the embarrassment in London, and match fixing was still rampant, maybe even more so. But the problem, he realized, was that there were just so many people in badminton who didn't see match fixing as cheating. For example, the Chinese and the Koreans, who are the two biggest offenders in this case, in, in terms of the number of cases in the past, uh, they don't see it as cheating. That, that's one of the issues because they do see it as a team sport. So, so they do not believe it's cheating trying to give one Chinese guy a better chance to win. And that's basically what they do by giving him an, an easier match. I see it as cheating and uh, like every, everyone else, uh, but yeah, th th they don't see it that way. Which brings us back to that afternoon in London's Wembley Arena in 2012. You may be thinking, why in the world would someone throw a game in the Olympics, the pinnacle of competition, with the entire world watching? It's important to have more context around the way Olympic badminton plays out. Like all Olympic team sports, badminton has a round-robin preliminary round. The results of that round set the seedings for the tournament-style knockout round, where medalists are ultimately determined. That said, the round-robin format leads to massive vulnerabilities for result manipulation. For instance, intentionally losing in the round-robin can actually earn athletes an easier matchup in the knockout round, thus putting them on a better path to win a medal. When the Chinese and South Korean teams took the floor for their preliminary round match, they had already clinched a spot in the knockout round. So the only thing really at stake were the team's seedings. Some more context. A chain of events had started when, a day earlier, a Chinese women's team lost in the preliminary round to Denmark. That upset meant that the two Chinese teams, which were the favorites to win gold and silver, 
would meet in the semifinals of the knockout round, not in the gold medal game. This meant that the Chinese couldn't win both gold and silver, a situation the Chinese coaches felt they needed to rectify. A gold medal wasn't enough. They wanted silver too. But it also meant that the top-seeded Chinese team would have a far more difficult match in the semifinals than they were expecting. To lose to the South Koreans would, in essence, increase their chances of actually winning in the long run. In other words, the question is, is this cheating or is this strategy? In the name of all the competitors, I promise that we shall take part in the Olympic Games respecting and abiding by the rules which govern them, committing ourselves to a sport without doping and without drugs, in the true spirit of sportsmanship, for the glory of the sport and the honour of our teams. That's the Olympic oath, taken during the opening ceremonies of the London Games by an athlete from the host country on behalf of all Olympians, including the badminton players, who took the court at Wembley Arena. There's also a section in the Badminton World Federation Code that stipulates that a player employs one's best efforts to win a match and bans conducting oneself in a manner that is clearly abusive or detrimental to the sport. You could interpret the performances of the disqualified badminton players as violations of those codes. But the practice of manipulating seating or draws in tournaments through losing on purpose or tanking well, anyone in the media who called out the badminton players for doing so should know that it's actually quite a common practice in sports. In the NBA, teams shamelessly lose games in order to get a hot position in the draft. In Major League Baseball, front offices sometimes trade away their best players to do the same. Nearly a decade after the London Olympics, Hans Christian looks back and thinks that everyone's shaming of those players, including his, wasn't entirely fair. I really don't want to blame them too much. I think I was I was quite harsh on them when I was there commentating yeah, because it looked so bad. But I I actually think the biggest blame is to put on the tournament organizer for for setting up a system that that is done in a just unlogical uh, way. I don't feel like the players handled it the best possible way, but I I fully understand uh, why they did what they did, uh, and in, in the end, it it all falls back on the the. World Federation also for how they handled it when it happened. They, they, were, they were not being nearly strict enough. In the end, the players were trying to win within the rules set by the Badminton World Federation and, more directly, from orders from their coaches. Hans Christian sympathizes. He says the reason why there are so many instances of the Chinese teams involved in match-fixing is because of the dominating force of their national teams. It is more individualized in, in uh, Europe and the Western part of the world, in, in the world of badminton, where in Asia it is, again, very uh, controlled by the federations and the national teams. We even have a story with a Chinese athlete who admits that uh, she was told to lose a quarterfinal at the Olympics. I think it was back in 92 or 96. And yeah, just imagine having worked so hard for four years to qualify and have a chance to win. And then you're there in the quarterfinal, you get told, yeah. It's not going to be you this time. The badminton players at Wembley in 2012? Perhaps their biggest mistake was not losing in a more convincing manner, for not being better actors. That moment of them being booed off the court was horrible. In fact, 
Soon after her disqualification from the Olympics, one of the two members of the Chinese doubles team, 35-year-old Yu Yang, posted on social media, This is my last time competing. Goodbye, Badminton World Federation. Goodbye, my beloved badminton. You have heartlessly shattered our dreams. Hans Christian blames the system. He blames the coaches. He blames the federation, which was so quick to discard the players in London, but in the years after, slow to address badminton's bigger match-fixing issues. Olympic badminton did change their rules for the Rio Olympics, altering its round-robin format so that teams would not receive an advantage by losing in some instances. And Hans Christian says there has been progress made on cracking down on the gambling match-fixing he experienced in 2014. Ultimately, badminton faces a perception problem, which is a big problem for a small sport trying to grow. The splashiest headlines surrounding badminton are about fixing and cheating, which make it harder to take seriously. But what if the scandals around badminton are actually the reason to take it seriously? It's easy for a lot of people to think of badminton as just a laid-back backyard activity. But it's as fierce and cutthroat as any sport. Serious business in many pockets of the world. Hans Christian believes there would be more fans across the world if it didn't keep shooting itself in the foot with all the negative stories surrounding it. His mission to clean things up is about letting more people around the world see badminton for the thrilling sport that it is. Yeah, well, the funny the funny thing is that I don't really feel comfortable being like a spokesperson for anyone, but I happen to to be that all the time. I don't particularly feel great in the situation, but I just hate when something is unfair or if it's not working as great as I thought it could be. Uh, it could be working, so I, I just can't not say anything. But I end up in that situation more than I, I would prefer, but yeah, I, I can't keep silent. Yeah, that's just how it is. I feel like we need to get it out there. That's the only way that we can uh, we can start solving it. And only then can his sport ensure that its fans and anyone across the world watching know that what they're watching is fair and true. The very best version of a beloved, cherished sport. Torched is a production of Film Nation Entertainment and Stitcher in association with Gilded Audio. It's executive produced by me, Molly Bloom, Alyssa Martino, Milan Papelka, Andy Chug, and Whitney Donaldson. This episode was produced by Jenner Pasqua. It was written by Albert Chen. Technical direction and engineering by Nick Dooley. Original music by James Lavino. Special thanks to Allison Cohen, Sarah Vacchiano, Matt Eisenstadt and Omar Tarbush. Next time on Torch, we head to the 2002 Winter Games in Salt Lake City, when a love story on ice exposed an international fixing scandal and changed the sport forever. I instantly felt like something was up. Uh... You know, my spidey sense, it was just like, no, no, this can't happen. It was wrong. We knew it. And that's next time on Torched. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.